hello to you and welcome to the Richard Nichols podcast, the personal development podcast series that's here to help inspire, educate and motivate you to be the best you can be. I'm psychotherapist Richard Nichols and this is episode 161. It's titled The Need to Belong. And if you're ready, we'll start the show. Happy September. Summer's over, folks. The kids are going back to school. The traffic's going to snarl back up again. And before you know it, it'll be Christmas. Hurrah! (laughs) Sounds like I'm wishing my life away a bit. But, you know, time does move pretty quickly. Life can pass you by if you don't pay attention to it. I was on holiday for two weeks in August. And when I got back to work on Tuesday, I said to my wife, it feels like we've been away forever. Not because it drags but because we did so much that was different i wouldn't i wouldn't normally go on a um a zip wire on a wednesday afternoon across a canyon in croatia i wouldn't normally swim under a, a waterfall in a national park and i'd never have been able to make the time to read four books four but bo- i read books proper books fiction books too not books on psychological theories or mental health nope four fiction entertaining and immersive books i just wouldn't normally make the time to do that so even though i was only away from my clients and from you for a few weeks it felt like ages and i think what helps here is the novelty of it the fact that it's rare for me to do these things makes it easier to appreciate the experiences we don't have to gratitude again aren't we something that crops up a lot when we look for ways of um, boosting our well-being. We live in a, a modern world where we can photograph everything we do, almost, yeah, pretty much everything we do. We can look through photos on our devices anytime we like and we can relive it. We're very fortunate to be in the 21st century. I've got my iCloud, got my photos synced up with my Apple TV box. So I get a slideshow of my photo stream appear on the telly if we've left it on. Oh, I say if. <laughs> when my son leaves the telly on, I should say, and I love it. I can't, oh, I can't complain that he's left the telly on because we get this little, this little slideshow of the last couple of weeks. It stores, I don't know, a thousand photos. I think it is, isn't it? Something like that. So you get to see all these recent things you've been, you've been doing, and I love it. Reminds me of, um, well, reminds me of every little daft thing that I do uh, on holiday, particularly a photo of a sign that said "Rent a boat." which made me think of the old TV programme Rent-A-Ghost. Um, a photo of a wasp that my wife trapped in a jam pot at Bradgate Park in Leicester last week when we had a scone there. You know, silly stuff that reminds me that I'm living. Not just that I'm alive, but that I'm living. Because it's so easy to forget sometimes. Anyway, that's not the topic of today's episode, though. Because what I want to talk about today is the importance of having a sense of belonging in our life. Belongingness is a surprisingly important feeling. I kind of liken it to being the opposite of loneliness. If we're missing that sense of belonging, then we can often feel as if we're insignificant and may as well crawl under a rock to die. I know that a lot of us feel a need to be unique, to be different from everyone else, but not at the expense of our sense of belonging. I think that The security that comes from it 
is greater than any extra confidence we might get from not being a sheep. Sure, be be different. Your life is your own. And any self-esteem boost you get from that can be used to help you to recognise that actually we're all different. We're all unique. We we do have autonomy over our lives and we can choose for ourselves what we do and where we go. And that should be enough. In psychology, you often hear people talk about our self-concept, which is more than just one self. We're more complicated than that. Modern social psychology is based on the premise that the self-concept consists of three fundamental self-representations. There's the individual self, the relational self, and the collective self. Our individual self is our unique traits and characteristics, our our sense of humour. Is it light or dark? Is it is it last of the summer wine or is it train spotting? Do you prefer the Beatles or the Stones? You know. Then there's our relational self, which is about the attachments we form with significant others, the things we share with people that are important to us, how we fit in with them. You know, who's the parent and who's the child? I'll go into child mode quite a lot. I'm a child with my family, <laughs> my wife. I'm probably only in parent mode about half of the time. That I'm Even when I'm actually being a parent, sometimes my 13-year-old slips into parent mode and has to reel me in a bit with some sarcastic slow hand claps and shakes of his head. That's our relational self. And then there's the collective self, which relies on how we fit in with a wider group, with society, with our less intimate relationships maybe. How significant we are in that group is just as important, I think, as the role we play with our close friends and family. Especially if, out of the the three self-concepts, how we see ourselves and how we fit in with our family might be unhealthy. We might have a dreadful self-esteem and think of everyone else as more important. And if so, we really need a strong sense of our collective self to help create that sense of belonging. Let's start at the beginning, shall we? That's always a good place. So, we're born. And we're born the most vulnerable animal on the planet, and we know it. As soon as we're born, we can't feed ourselves, we can't stand up, we can't sit up. We're just a screaming ragdoll that needs protecting. It's not always been this way. But at some point, a fair few million years ago now, natural selection favoured a species that had a shorter gestation period. Maybe something to do with the size of the birth canal compared to the size of our head. Who knows? But our species was okay with it. Other versions of us, probably not. There would have been some less sociable or less nurturing species that needed its young to be able to look after themselves. We didn't. Because we were becoming more social, we were becoming a tribal species, and that diversion had some enormous benefits when it came to sourcing food and water. So we survived and the others died out. We became the dominant species. But being human comes with a set of instincts that means that if we sense we're alone, we we become hyper-aware of the possible threats and we act as if we're fighting for our life because... Our brain is telling us that we actually are. That's the point of emotions. We either feel safe or vulnerable. And we label the emotion whatever we want, depending on our circumstances. So, our brain says that we're vulnerable and we label it as feeling as if we don't fit in, as if we don't belong. And if this becomes habitual, part of our personality, 
then we can lose the ability to trust. We lose the ability to connect with others, which further reinforces a feeling of not belonging because when you feel that you don't belong, it's hard to know who the enemy is, so everyone gets pushed away. I mention this because you might not even recognise that you're missing this sense of belonging. You don't miss what you've never had, and so without the emotional intelligence to see that it's missing, the issue might just get labelled as anxiety or shyness or anger. So it's worth looking to see if something is missing from your life, because this could have been there your whole life. It's the reason why children who are put through a series of foster homes or repeated family locations might have difficulty forming deeper attachments with people later in life, because they've never really learned how to feel as if they belong somewhere. I've had a lot of clients come to me with attachment problems who grew up in the military They were always moving as a child and they never really felt settled, as if they belong. Okay, I only see the ones where it becomes an issue. There are plenty of adults who grew up in army barracks around the world and maybe loved the excitement of seeing new countries and cultures, probably because they felt that the military was where they belonged. It was part of their family, maybe. The reason why missing that sense of belonging is so bad for mental health is because the opposite of belonging is isolation. And that's a bad place to try and live in. Our brain really doesn't like it. And so it gives you warnings that you aren't safe. That's what negative emotions are for. That's what what pain is for. If something hurts, we need to move away from it. And we know that ostracism, the the pain of being shut out, ostracised, is a real pain. It actually hurts. When ostracised, there's an increased activity in the same brain areas that is used for pain recognition, like the anterior cingulate cortex, which is why paracetamol reduces social as well as physical pain. Genuinely, taking painkillers doesn't just turn down a headache, it turns down anything that hurts, which is why you can only buy them in small, small quantities without a pharmacist overseeing it because the side effects of isolation may be less painful than overdosing on painkillers. But that aside, if you burn your hand, you simply pull it away if it hurts. And you can't do that with a life. You can't just walk away from isolation and into a sense of belonging. But it doesn't doesn't stop people trying. The reason why gangs exist. And at the far end of that, you've got things like religious extremism. I'm all for a church or a social group giving someone a sense of belonging, great stuff. But someone's ostracism can be exploited by extremists. Lonely people can easily end up donating most of their wages to the church because the pain of walking away from the one place that makes them feel at home is greater than the pain of living on jam sandwiches. It's how terrorist organisations recruit youngsters. They find someone who has no sense of belonging. Someone who, for racist reasons or mental health reasons or whatever has been ignored by the people around them, shunned, ostracised. And these people come along and say, we'll be a friend, we'll give you a sense of belonging. And then they slowly brainwash them. So we know that feeling that you belong somewhere is important. But how the heck do you create it? Well, we're lucky that we live when we do. We can connect with people all over the world if we want to. I'm not going to get into the positives and negatives of social media because it's it's a huge topic, but it can be used for good. Facebook particularly can be used for positives rather than 
desperately trying to keep up with the Joneses. Because there are Facebook groups, some private, some public. I'm a member of a a few mental health and counselling resources ones, and it's great to see complete strangers exchanging ideas and advice. People that I've never met and probably never will. And this little virtual world gives them a sense of belonging, almost like Ernest Cline's Oasis from the Ready Player One book, but with fewer Monty Python references. That sort of thing can be really useful. My local town is Nuneaton in Warwickshire, and a guy who I met years ago, as I think he was on the Carnival Committee when I had more time to be involved in community stuff, he set up a group called Nuneaton Memories, and people submit to him old photos of the town, of their old house, and things like that. And they share stories about their friends and family, and it's really popular. And there's a, there's a proper sense of belonging that comes with it. Nextdoor.com is another site, and is a brilliant way of getting to know your neighbours without actually going and banging on their door, which is something that every New Year's Eve, if you're at home, I threaten to do. Every year I drink a bit too much and say, I know. I'm going to knock on everyone's door and wish every single person that lives on this road a happy new year. And my wife always stops me and says, everyone will think you're weird, Rich. And she's probably right, rather sadly. I think the easiest, or certainly the less anxiety-provoking way, is to look at the existing people in your life first, before jumping into anything new. Yeah, you can you can join an amateur dramatics group if that's your thing. that helped me, definitely or a local real ale fan club, something like that. But maybe you can feel better connected with your family, your work colleagues or your neighbours. One way to make this easier is to get into the habit of deliberately looking at ways in which you are similar. Rather than concentrating on your differences, focus on your similarities. After all, it's much easier to connect with people you already know than to try and make new friends. Because you'll still take you with you. And probably still take that lonely feeling with you, even in a big group of like-minded real ale fans or Amdram devotees. So start with existing folk. Even if you might think that they have nothing to offer you, just because someone's half your age or twice your age, doesn't mean they're not worth listening to and talking to. You might have different political, spiritual, existential theories or beliefs, but you might share the same goal of wanting a sense of purpose in life or a pull to make the world a better place. Embrace the similarity. And in doing so, accept the differences you have too. The thing is, if we treat others as if they're an outsider, then it reinforces our own sense of loneliness because you sense that they feel the same way about you. That's just what the brain does. But by accepting others and seeing their differences as a valid part of who they are, then it creates a feeling that even if you're different, you still belong. It just takes a bit of time, effort and patience for the process to become second nature. So play around with it. Let me know how you get on. Right, what's the time? Oh, crikey, we've overrun. It's already gone 15 minutes. We need to stop. If you like my podcast, why not consider buying my book? I haven't mentioned it for a while, but I wrote a book last year. It's called 15 Minutes to Happiness and is available in all good bookshops, online and offline. The audiobook version is even available for free. 
if you sign up for Amazon's Audible free trial, because even if you cancel it, you get to keep the first book you downloaded. There are links to various different shops and websites. Um, get the links at 15minutes2happiness.com. And it's a great way of supporting the podcast too, especially if you actually like my ideas and attitude. Anyway, that's my shameless plug for this time. There'll be more next time, I'm quite sure. Enjoy your month, pod fans. Take care. Bye.